RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so glad to have you here one more time for this thing we call a podcast. I really think I know you're going to enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy all of them, but this one is going to be one of a kind. We're going to have the total package Lex Luger. What a story he has, and uh, so many ups and so many downs and so many right place, right times, and really interested in hearing about uh you know, that first Nitro when he walked out, nobody knew he was going to be there. The rumors are he was asked to take a big uh, big pay cut from his WWE money. And uh, so we'll see if that's true or not. But it really was the shot around the world uh, as far as the Monday Night Wars go to show that uh, Eric Bischoff and WCW were not, were not messing around. So uh be interesting to hear his entire story. Uh, uh Never really very good friends with him, uh, always acquaintances with him, but his uh, attitude and, and his life has totally changed. And um, it's actually quite amazing story. And I'm, I'm not one to get into uh, religion. I'm not a religious guy for the most part, but, uh, you know, it works for, for people and uh, I respect that. And uh, so I want to get into his story a little bit and uh, hear the entire story of uh, Lex Luger, the good, the bad, the ugly. So we're going to do that in just a moment. Uh, it's been a while and we're a little bit late on this, but due to uh, our taping schedule, sometimes uh, it's not always easy to be uh, to hit topical items uh, immediately. But I do want to uh, to note uh, the death of Bruno San Martino, uh, one of the biggest legends in the sport of professional wrestling. I was lucky enough to meet Bruno a couple of times, get a couple pictures with him. And uh, uh, he was always gracious. Uh, his his time was a little bit before my time, but uh, we talked to J.J. Dillon two, just two weeks ago and uh, talked about, you know, just a couple of days before Bruno passed, unfortunately, and, and he talked about, you know, his career would, wouldn't have been the same without Bruno, not because Bruno had to, because Bruno wanted to, and those are the stories that you hear. So to the entire San Martino family, to all his friends, uh, to, the, to the business as a whole, rest in peace. Bruno San Martino, and um, just wanted to hit that real quick. Uh, got a few tricks up our sleeves in the coming uh, weeks and months. I was telling you about those Legends of Wrestling shows that I was doing. Uh, we finished the one in Detroit. We had one a couple of weeks ago in Augusta, which is how I was able to uh, uh, ask Lex Luger to do this week's edition uh, way back then. And so um, got a few heavy hitters that have agreed to uh, sit with us uh, ringside in the coming weeks and months. So be sure to tune in. Uh, we did uh, open questions, as you heard last podcast, on at David Penzer for Lex Luger. We're going to ask some of those questions today. And uh, so in the future, I want to try to get more input from you. If you're not a Twitter subscriber, please go to at David Penzer, all one word, or at Penzer Ringside. That is the Twitter handle for the show. And be sure to uh, check us out. Uh, we talk wrestling and uh, uh, also uh, updates on the Sydney Ringside podcast. As I say each and every week, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell your friends, families, neighbors, shout it down the street. Be sure to leave a review if uh, 
you are able to, and be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. We appreciate you very much and uh, hope that you are enjoying our discussions each and every week. Had a great time with Al Snow last week, J.J. Dillon the week before, and we're going to keep bringing you great discussions. I, li- I like to call them discussions instead of interviews uh, because that's what I'd like to try to accomplish. So we're going to have some more great discussions and uh, looking forward to continuing on with, like I said, this thing we call a podcast. Wouldn't have bet you a year ago, but uh, it's been fun and uh, we're not uh, stopping by any length of the imagination. We're going to keep on rolling. If you have any ideas, things that can make the show better, hit us up on Twitter as well. Also, if you don't do the whole Twitter thing, you could email me directly at davidpenzer at radioinfluence.com. davidpenzer at radioinfluence.com. Speaking of Radio Influence, uh, check out their website, radioinfluence.com. A bunch of different podcasts with a bunch of different uh, areas of entertainment and sports and uh, news and uh, opinion, and uh, be able to check that out. They're good people and uh, a lot of great content. So uh, content, excuse me. So hit up radioinfluence.com while I'm thinking of it. Want to bring on a man who, like I said earlier, has been uh, been in a lot of right places at a lot of right times and uh, and had, had as many lows as he has highs. And we're going to talk about it all. I'm honored to have him on this week. So please welcome the one and only, the total package, Lex Luger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this week on City Ringside, we are honored to be joined by a guest. We we're kind of uh, talking about it offline before we hit record about uh, somebody who's done so much in a 15-year career. I kind of had to narrow down the questions for him. There's so much that, uh, so many, you know, big matches, big storylines, and uh, and big uh, places he's been as far as the wrestling business. So uh, it's my honor to welcome the total package, Lex Luger, to City Ringside. Hey, Lex, how you doing? Thank you, David. Glad to be sitting ringside with you guys. Appreciate it. There you go. That's why you were so successful. You yeah, don't miss man. a beat, Lex. Of course, I want to start at the beginning. I, I didn't want to get too involved with your training, <laughs> but I know that you uh, played football your whole life. Uh, you played for my team, University of Miami. You played uh, semi-pro and pro. And um, I played professionally for seven years, the Canadian Football League, the NFL, and the USFL. My point was, as somebody who's seen my oldest son play football from the age of five to Division three college football, and knowing the preparation and the, 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 the training that goes in all year round uh, and how hard it is to train, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like in the pro level. Uh, when you started training for the wrestling business under Hiro Matsuda, what were the differences between uh, football training and the training that you had uh, in Hero's dungeon, so to speak? Completely different. First, the conditioning before he gets in the ring, they take you to what he called the dungeon. He turn all the air conditioning off in the heat of the summer in Florida, take you for a five or six mile warm up jog, and then just, I mean, Hindu squats, push ups, jump squats for building up to two hours of that till the repulse of sweat around the ring. So, no kind of uh, football strength conditioning training would ever get you ready for that. I had heard about his training methods. So before I got in there with him in the dungeon, as we called it there in Tampa, Florida, I lost about 25 pounds. And uh, so I could uh, hopefully uh, not uh, get prepared for and lighten my body weight for that kind of grueling, more of an endurance type training. You want to test your, your willingness and your um, whether you really want to do it or not. 
you kind of weed guys out with that. Was there ever a time that you were close to like tapping out and saying, I'm going to try football again because this is too much? <laughs> you know what? On some of those warm-up runs, I go, man, knowing what was in store from when I got back to the dungeon definitely crossed my mind <laughs> without a doubt. But you know what? Matt Suda was such an incredible man. I had so much admiration and respect for him and how he, how he, what he thought about wrestling and what it did for his family and coming from Japan. I knew his rep as a judo and he knew hooks how to break bones he had i heard he had broken guys arms and legs in training including hulk hogan's legs so i was like oh my gosh I heard this guy's like really tough but him and i hit it off from the beginning i really admired he did everything you did he jogged with you on the warm-up he ran with you he did the push-ups and hinges he was you know at the time i thought an older man he's younger than i am now but he was amazing and uh we re- him and i really had an a hit it off at the very beginning. So uh, it, it, it was uh, quite the experience in, in a positive way. So as someone who grew up watching championship wrestling from Florida, I witnessed firsthand your entry into the wrestling business and uh, really uh, had a two-year run here in Florida, uh, the old territory days, driving from town to town, you know, Tampa to Miami, Tampa, Jacksonville, uh, Tampa, Tallahassee. So um, just wondering your thoughts on, on, on being – you know, in the territorial days and, and, you know, did the driving bother you? Did uh, the travel bother you or uh, was it perfect to begin a career? Yeah, it was different than football. Of course, we play, you know, 16 games and some preseason games, more travel, but um, I enjoy hitting the road. So, and I I looked at it as a a great training time of additional training. uh, Cause you, you work, like you said, every night, seven nights a week. And TV tapings on Wednesday mornings, and we drive to Miami Wednesday night, and Fort Pierce, and Jacksonville, and all around Tallahassee, you name it, Sarasota. I, I had a blast. You hang with the guys in the car, and you learn stuff from the older veteran guys in the car, and we talk about wrestling. So that student, my first guy, which would go to me, meet all town. So I got windshield time, as we call it, with him. So I really enjoyed my time down there. As a as a as a real foundational time, as uh, it turned out to be a great stepping stone later on into into when I went with the uh, NWA WCW. You know, it's funny I talk about it all the time uh, on the podcast that you know now you have uh, you have cell phones and internet and social media, and it's all a wonderful thing. It's real entertaining, especially for long drives. But one of the things that I loved about the wrestling business back when there was no cell phones and and, uh, you know, it was just you and a couple of guys sitting in a car and listening to stories, telling stories, yeah. getting advice. And, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure now if if that still exists, but if it doesn't, it's a real shame because uh, it's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is to share, uh, you know, with the fans some of the stories that I used to hear and, 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 and some of the, you know, conversations, you know, that you learn so much from. So, uh I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't ask him. We spoke about it a little bit in Augusta when I when I saw you for the Legends of Wrestling. Uh, uh, one of the uh, what's become an infamous uh, situation, so to speak. I actually was there live, and I, I wasn't smart, so I sort of had no idea what was going on. And uh, it was at the War Memorial Auditorium. It was the end of uh, your run at, at Championship Wrestling from Florida. You were about to go off to Jim Crockett Promotions. <laughs> And they put you in a steel cage match with Bruiser Brody, and who had a reputation for sometimes walking to the beat of his own drum, uh, and, and that's just the way it was. 
And, um, you know, at some point during the match, and we, we spoke to uh, Bill Alfonso was on this podcast a uh, month or two ago, and uh, he gave his version of what happened. And, and at some point, uh, it looked like Bruiser Brody just stopped selling. And, uh, you know, you tried to work with him. And at, at one point, you just, you know, see you later, bye, and you hopped out of the cage. I'm wondering what your thoughts were and, uh, and, and, and what happened during that. I get asked that a lot. Um, you know, like I said, those were long days, Wednesday mornings, television all day long. Then we drive in the afternoon to Miami. So that was like a long day and for us every week. And um, I had never had a cage match before. Oh, wow. That was my first cage match. And I, we had separate locker rooms there in the stage. You couldn't walk across the stage and talk to the locker room there the way it was set up. So I was so nervous working with a bruiser Brody because I'm, he's a, I mean, he's a big, scary guy. He had a different way of working, kind of the crazy man with that. He's a huge guy with the hair. And, oh, my gosh, I heard all these stories about him. So I'm, a, I'm in a cage and I'm going to guys, oh, am I supposed to, like, like, like uh, do we, like, cut ourselves on the cage? Or, oh, no, no, you don't have, you don't have to do that. Just, just so he'll walk you through it. I got in there, and I had no clue how to do a cage match. So I immediately was trying to, like, run him in the cage. Looking back now, I'm going, he must have, what is this guy trying to do? I I was totally clueless. And just a few minutes into the match, he just stopped working, just staring at me. And I'm looking at Vons, and Vons is looking at me. I go, Vons, Vons, what's going on? He goes, I don't know, I don't know, brother. You know, Vons, he's like, I don't know, brother. So um, I, I'd like, hit, I like throw a punch or something more times. He wasn't selling. He just would kind of shake it off and stare at me. Then we kind of backed into a corner, and I was trying, what, what's going on? What's going on? He wouldn't answer me. And then he kind of like, like put me in a headlock and now, now Dave, he's got tape on his fingers with blades on his fingers. Now I'm getting really scared. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? This guy's mind. Is he like on drugs or something like kind of hallucinogenic? He's got razor blades on his fingers. And I've heard all these stories about him. So I go, Fonzie, what should we do? So Fonzie actually kind of bailed me out. Fonzie just back in the corner, brother, and just keep on wailing on him. And he, whether he fights back or not, I'll just DQ the match which was smart of Fonzie. I never would have thought of that. So that's kind of what we did. And as soon as they rang the bell, I'm like scared to death. You can't get the case. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we just de-cuted on him. What if, what if he's not happy with that? So while, while Klondike Bill was fumbling with the door, I said, I said, Fonzie, I'm out of here. Like a scared jack rabbit, rabbit. Uh, which defeats the purpose of the cage. I jumped on the ropes and scaled out of the cage and ran back to my locker room. Now I'm sitting in the other locker room. I'm thinking, man, this isn't good. I guess I, I better go over there to the other side once the fans get out of here. And, uh, Humper, and Humperdinck was his manager. And, go, and uh, I said, I might as well go over there and get yelled at or beat up or whatever, by, but go over there and take my lumps because I must have really messed up. I walked over there. I kind of peeked my head real timidly around the corner and I saw Humperdinck and I go like shrug my shoulders. Like it's okay to come in. He goes, yeah, come on in. And, uh, there he was taking his, uh, Brody was taking his boots off and, and uh, getting undressed. And I go, excuse me, sir. I said, uh, did I do something wrong? Or he goes, no, no, don't worry about it. He said, he goes, uh, I'm, I'm going baby face in Texas right now with the Von Erics and you're going down to, with the flare in them. Uh, down in uh, Charlotte and the NWA 
as, as a bad guy, he goes, it just wasn't working in there. It's been a long day. He goes, don't worry about it. Just totally shrugged it off. And so, boy, was I relieved, right? But I didn't get my butt whooped. If it makes you feel any better, as somebody who was there, it didn't look like you were scared when you hopped out of the cage. It looked like you were frustrated, but it didn't look like, at all like you were scared. Oh, did I try to look like I was like I was cool when I was scared to death? Maybe I did have some acting ability. I don't know. I, I never thought I did. But well, maybe I was a better worker than everybody said I was. My gosh. Let me try to look cool when, I, when I'm scared to death. Let me casually jump out of the ring scared. When I look back on it, and we talked a little bit about this with uh, Fonzie in the, the interview uh, talking about this subject, it almost seems like he got a kick out of the fact that you seemed intimidated. So the more you seemed intimidated, he kind of just kept doing what he was doing, which was nothing, and uh, seemed to escalate from there. Oh, yeah. I mean, if he uh, if he was here, that you might be exactly right. You might be hitting the nail on the head. I thought about that as well. He might have, looking back, what I know now, a guy with a kind of ring experience in those types of matches, I was so clueless in my first cage match. He might have got a huge kick out of it. Who knows? You know, it's fun to think about if uh, if he was alive today that you guys, you know, sit in a bar during one of the conventions and, and have a beer and laugh about it, you know, having him tell you what was going through his mind and, uh, and, and you, know, uh, you know, telling the story back and forth. But unfortunately, you know, unfortunately he was taken from us too soon. Yeah, we could sit ringside here and talk about it together. There you go. You're yeah. you're right on the sitting ringside thing. I'm loving it. Yeah. So uh so you left Florida, which was uh right at the right time, by the way, and you you head to Jim Crockett promotions and smack dab right into the four horsemen. Um you know, it was sort of a, a change of character for you in Florida. You just had the white beater and the black trunks, and then you go up to uh the Jim Crockett promotions, join the four horsemen, uh they take you out. They give you a war, uh, buy a whole new wardrobe. And tell me your impression of 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 going right uh, from a territory that's on its last legs to what at the time oh was gosh. a hot national promotion. Yeah, are you kidding me? I mean, to come in with the Four Horsemen, David, uh, and uh, I they would take me and I get personally tutored by Tully and work with Arn and him, who, who maybe one of the greatest tag teams ever, and Nate and. JJ and what a, I mean, as inexperienced as I was, what a, what a great uh, learning opportunity to be with them. And, and what a, what a launching pad for my career. I always tell you my career felt like it was the 4th of July fireworks. I was kind of had to look, you know, Hogan and uh, ultimate warrior before that wrestling kind of Tony Atlas and, and some of the guys with, with the bodies, but they were starting to really look for guys with the, with the physique and the, you know, kind of like the six pack and, and, uh, I, I, boy, talk about timing, like you said, and be a little, but still, um, to be given that opportunity, Nate had come down to Florida and done an hour Broadway with me and went back and, uh, really, I realized afterward he had really pitched me with the Crockett's to bring me in and for Oli to want to, for a shoot, wanted to go and spend more time at home off the road with his family and his son. Uh, man, what timing, what, a, what an opportunity. I wasn't even going to ask you this question, but it dawns on me that uh, that you know, at a time where you were new in the business and, and new in that spot, uh, and a national promotion where you have to cut you know promos, you know multiple promos every week on multiple televisions. Uh, I'm sure, it was great that you had some of the best promo guys in the history of the business, uh, not only to you know take the load as far as the promos go, but to you know teach you until you were more comfortable, you know, on the microphone. Yeah, are you kidding me? Arn Tully, Nate, JJ. And then before I went out there, 
I get personally tutored what he wanted me to say or how he wanted me to say it by Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. So, I mean, gosh, think about that. For guys on the mic, oh my gosh, incredible. That was actually my next question. Tell me uh, what you remember about working with Dusty Rhodes. Well, as we know, Dusty, when I was there and all the way through his career and afterwards at the Performance Center is renowned for his ability to develop talent. He he, uh, came up with my finish, him and Nate, but mainly Dusty, the torture rack. Uh, at at the Techwood studio right before I went out for my first match they said what's your finish and I I didn't really have one and they came up with the torture rack the backbreaker and and my gosh your creativity and the and the input that uh, Dusty Dusty gave me and the encouragement and the confidence that he gave me was uh, very very special and they recognized for me David there's guys who are stars in our business and there's guys who have the extra talent of being star makers who are top guys uh nature's of course a great example and dusty and i had both of them right there who not only they were so confident themselves they were they had a talent ability to bring the best out of new guys and and know what they could or couldn't do so i man i'm looking back on that what are to be around those guys and have them uh, uh mentoring and tutoring me right there was they had a very special gift uh, which i'm very thankful for yeah, like we said in the intro, there's a lot of right place, right times in uh, in your career and, and coming in mm. to Jim Crockett Promotions and uh, being put right away with the horsemen and, and being able to work right away with Dusty Rhodes, I'm sure, uh, you know, elevated you to be, you know, uh, not only one of the top guys in the territory, but one of the top guys in the business. Uh, but so you left the horsemen and you turned babyface. Looking back at your career, uh, which did you prefer, working heel or babyface and uh, why? I didn't really have a preference. I think it was once I learned a little bit how to call a match from Ricky Steamboat, when another guy I got to work with, it was the first guy who really taught me how to call my own match. Until then, everybody just walked and talked me through my match. I worked with Rick hundreds of times. I didn't have to even think about it. I just come to the building, and I, I just got, got walked right through everything. And Ricky Steamboat took the time to actually have me end up calling a match. I had a long program with an incredible guy. And he actually taught me how to call matches and spots and what to do. Uh, being a heel or a bad guy, uh, it's a little uh, more, maybe more fun work-wise in the ring. But um, I didn't really have a, a preference either either way. Whatever whatever was uh, I, I, where I was needed at the time. Um, so I did not really have a strong preference for either. Interesting that you brought up Ricky Steamboat. As, as I mentioned, we were... Uh, recently at a Legends of Wrestling event in Augusta, Georgia, and I hosted a, a question and answer session. And part of the panel was Ricky Steamboat, and you were also part of the panel. And uh, I don't know if you were surprised, uh, but a lot of fans were, were surprised that were around me that Ricky really, really, really put over uh, that program that you guys worked. And um, it almost seemed like you were you were humbled by it. Oh, yeah. Such kind words come from him. Ricky was one of the best. I'm... Uh... Just so appreciative of him, and I—I I don't think um, I, I was a great worker. I had a—I had a good look and things that they were able to capitalize on, uh, me and the bookers and people like that at the time. But uh, Ricky really uh, just—just be—he was a great teacher. Now I think Ricky's comment, from what I took, it was more that I was—I uh, had a reputation for my 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 confidence. I'd called it back then, but my kind of my air, being kind of an arrogant guy, and Ricky. I uh, kind of 
was, was kind of dispelling that was saying, but my interaction with Lex uh, behind the scenes was that he was very teachable. And I that was very, very kind of him to say for sure. Really appreciated that. So it did mean a lot. So you're scheduled to wrestle Ric Flair for the world title at uh, the Great American Bash in 1991. And, and by this time, it, it's funny because I was up there stooging around, bringing up enhancement talent and, uh, you know, running guys in the back. So now I start to remember things with my eyes instead of, you know, reading about them or remembering watching them on television. And, you know, you were supposed to wrestle Flair. Flair left uh, the territory, basically told Jim Hurd, see you later, bye, and I'm, I'm not dropping the world title on my way out. I'm going to bring it with me. So uh, they had, had decided to make Barry Windham the number two contender and put you and Barry in that match for the world title. And, and I'll never forget it. Uh, we are in Macon, Georgia, and, and Gary Capetta had to go out, and this was the first test of him telling the crowd that Flair was gone and he didn't drop the title. And they, they tried to, you know, make it so that people would boo Flair, but they really didn't boo Flair and tried to put over that main event of you and, and Barry Windham. And I remember Dusty and Ole and all the big wigs gathered around the curtain, you know, crossing their fingers, hoping to, uh, you know, that, that, you know, the fans would buy into it. What do you, do you remember that? I do. It was a shocker to all of us for sure. Um, never any, any personal, resentment or anything i get asked that a lot uh between rick and i at all but after all rick had done for me in my career if rick thought it was best for him to move on i was wasn't privy to anything behind the scenes between him and the management and ownership of the company so i nothing there at all it was but it was an awkward spot for the company we didn't have a belt a world title belt for the match between barry and i they, they but they were definitely trying to make the best out of a definitely a, a difficult and awkward situation for the ownership and management of the company for sure yeah, kind of making chicken salad out of chicken, you know what? Yeah. So, absolutely. how tough was that to pull off uh, uh, that match with you and Barry Windham, especially in Baltimore, which, as you know, was uh, brick flare country for sure? Yeah, I, I think it was difficult. We did the best to it we all could. Um, we had, they brought in Harley and Big Cat to, for, uh, to have Harley in that ring with me, had me pile drive Barry, which was Harley's finish. So, that was huge. And they put, Harley with me. So I, I think they, they did the very best they could once again out of a very, very difficult situation for sure. Tell me about that time being able to ride with Harley and travel with Harley Race and, and learning from him. That must have been uh, uh, really interesting. Oh, man. Harley and I hit it off great. He was just wonderful to me, a great teacher and mentor, as the other guys were. And just to drive with him in the car. He liked to drive, actually. I like to drive. I'm a wheel man. When I'm in a car, I'd rather be driving. But of course, I acquiesced to Harley out of respect immediately. And Harley, you know his rep, 100 mile an hour with a cigarette in one hand and a beer in the other. So, and that's, that was a shoot. That was for real. That was an experience. I didn't scare easy, but I had a few mer- nervous moments with him until I kind of got used to it. Crazy. But what a, what a great guy. Uh, we're, uh, we have a, a great friendship to this day. And, I'm um, very, very appreciative of Harley and all he, all he did with me and for me back then, for sure. Yeah, love me some Harley race always. Uh, so moving forward, uh, if I remember correctly, not long after Flair left and, and had his own issues with WCW and went to WWF, uh, you had some issues uh, with WCW as well. If, if, if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the reason why you originally went to the uh, World Bodybuilding Federation and not immediately to WWF, you had to sit out uh, a non-compete 
uh, with WCW. Uh, without getting to the gory details, uh, uh, what went wrong there, and uh, you know, uh, why did you ended up end up leaving what had been a pretty good run? Well, it was a great run, but I kind of always had a, a a feeling that I would someday uh, like to try working with WWE. They were kind of the number one company at the time, and I had met. Vince McMahon a couple times. We'd had had a couple conversations and we both felt like we'd love to work together someday. And it was just the timing of it. I, I had a year left in my contract and we just were able to work it out that if I sat out the year uh, that I had left in my contract, um, it was kind of a win-win. WCW was kind of struggling at the time financially. So they felt like, well, we're going to save quite a bit of money because I was one of their bigger contracts. And it gave me the opportunity to have a sort of a segue into in WWE, which I kind of always wanted to try. And I really wasn't anything against WCW. I'm very appreciative of my time there. Obviously, as we just talked, it really launched my career and put me on a, a must, you know, put me in a, in a kind of a main event light. So I was very appreciative of that. It wasn't anything against WCW, but I really wanted to, to work with WWE. WWF and WWE, so I thought that was a good timing-wise, a good opportunity. So crazy story, guys. Uh, doing my thing, going from town to town, uh, TV to TV, and uh, one day they t- got a shot of my the back of my head. You could see a little bit of a bald spot there, and I, you know, me being somebody who uh, uh, kind of self-conscious about his look, I went home and I said to my wife, "I said that's not a bald spot, is it?" She said, "Yeah, you've had it for about six months." Come to find out that everything I tried to do for it, $40 shampoos, $40 conditioners, I uh, tried to wear a hat for a couple of years. It turns out that wearing a hat makes it worse. So now i got a big old bald spot in the back of my head, and I just try not to look at it as much as I can. Doing a little research, realized that 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35. That was around the time that I lost it. What I've learned is uh, when you start to notice the hair loss, it's kind of too late. And you have to uh, address it beforehand if you don't want to deal with it uh, like uh, I dealt with it and so many other men dealt with it. And I, I did find a solution. It's called 4 It's a one-stop shop for hair loss. Also, skincare and sexual wellness for men. It's really easy. There's no waiting room, no awkward doctor's visit. Saves hours. You could do it from the comfort of your home. You go to 4 Answer a few quick questions, and a doctor will review your answers and could prescribe you products that are shipped directly to your door. It is that easy, folks. My listeners on City Ringside get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today right now while supplies last. See website for full details, but this would cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. But if you go to 4 slash Penzer, P-E-N-Z-E-R, that's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash P-E-N-Z-E-R. You get a trial month for just $5. Don't make the same mistake I made. Go to 4 slash Penzer now. So when you finally made your way to WWF, you started off as the narcissist, but mm-hmm. quickly made a huge babyface turn as the All-American. You know, you mentioned earlier you had been compared to Hulk Hogan throughout your career and you know, especially the magazines, the Bill After magazines, uh, a lot of comparisons, the the blonde hair, the physique, the charisma. And, you know, Hogan had, you know, given notice and said he was leaving. So when you finally get your chance, 
you know, I don't want to say to walk in the shadows, but, you know, to become the number one baby face of WWF, uh, you know, after Hulk Hogan was gone. Tell me your thoughts on that. How was that experience? Well, you know what? What, what we talked earlier about, uh, I was compared. I never compared myself to him. There will always only be one Hulkster. I mean, you talk about the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. He's definitely one of the guys. So I never compared myself with him. Other people did, and um, which was a huge compliment, of course, but there, there will only ever be one Hulkster. And I, I felt the same way even back then. And um, it, I just looked at it as a great opportunity when Vince – called me and said, we're going to switch you from the narcissist, which I love doing, uh, to uh, All-American on the bus, Slam Yokozuna on the USS Intrepid July 4th. Once again, a huge, like you talked about timing, opportunity. And I didn't know what was behind the scenes. I actually didn't know that Hogan had told Vince he thought he wasn't going to be working in the wrestling business anymore. So I never thought of it. Wow, I'm going to get a chance to be the next Hulk Hogan, replace Hogan. I just thought, wow, it's going to be a great chance for an incredible um, opportunity with uh, what they're going to have me do on the, on, for SummerSlam. So I kind of looked at it more of a rather than macro big picture. I was looking at more of a micro, wow, what an opportunity he's laying out here for me to, to be the main event in SummerSlam against Yokozuna. So that's really how I looked at it at the time. Going back real quick, you mentioned earlier that you love doing the narcissist uh, gimmick. Tell me why. Um. You know, we talked about it's fun being a heel. It was fun. I mean, my gosh, come out with the with the mirrors and the women and the and God, just uh, it was a, it was a in my personality back then. Like I always said, I was always very confident, so it came naturally, David. So it was a it was it was fun. I wish I could have done it longer. I wasn't I wasn't uh, at all upset that I, they they turned me babyface, but uh, it was it was a fun it was a fun uh, persona to portray. And that's sort of the reason I brought that up, because as somebody who got to know you behind the scenes a little bit, I wouldn't say we were friends, but we certainly, you know, uh, interacted behind the scenes. And as somebody who who saw you back there, uh, you definitely always seemed like you were uh, somebody who was more comfortable uh, posing in front of a mirror and and walking out with a bunch of women and patting himself on the back than somebody who, you know, kissing babies and slapping the fans hands. You got that right. It definitely came naturally back then, for sure. Yeah, and I certainly want to talk to you later about uh, the transformation. Uh, you know, uh, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you uh, on City Ringside and, and interview you is, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, I've changed. You know, I found this, I found that. Mm. And then their true colors come out. But you really have uh, have made a transformation that uh, is amazing to me. So we'll definitely get back to that later. So uh, moving ahead. Now almost everybody and their brother, especially in WWE, has a tour bus to take them from town to town. Uh, but uh, way before that, there was the Lex, Exp- Lex Express tour that uh, went all over the country. And what are your memories about that? How, was that a good time? It was an incredible experience. Um, great memories. I even got to bring my family along on part of the trip. And we did almost every state. Huge crowds. I was so well promoted. We had a tour director that traveled with us and a, a bus driver and a, and uh, I spent most of my time literally on the bus. So, um, and we stopped at hotels, of course, and stuff, but and we had literally from morning, we do the morning radio and, and t- local TV shows in every city, like the wake up stuff at 6am. So I get to four or five in the morning and we'd go to the, the like the late night news shows. I get out there with the weatherman and 
we do autograph signings at shopping malls and it was a whirlwind tour but it was a it was really busy and draining uh, mentally and physically but at the same time it, we had we had a blast we had a really good time doing it so it was i have great memories of the tour for sure certainly a different way to see the country uh you know usually we go from airplane to rental car to a uh, hotel to the building and you know repeat and rinse repeat as they say uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, in 1992, I actually was Rod, Roddy Piper's tour manager. He had a cross-country book tour. We were on Billy Ray Cyrus's tour bus. Wow. And, uh, so, you know, we did sort of the same thing. Woke up in the morning, did all the radio shows and the, the, the local Today show. And, and then we uh, did the book tour and uh, the book signing that night. So it's certainly a different way to see the country. It's good. You know what? It's a grind, but it was a good grind. From sea to shining sea, literally. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I saw almost the whole country, which was a great experience. Yeah, for me too, for sure. Except I'm sure you got the big bedroom in the back with the private bathroom and I had to sleep on the bunk, but you know, <laughs> hey, that's life. It's not always fair. So now to something that's a bit more in my wheelhouse because uh, I lived it. And, uh, you know, talk about showing up to, uh, to Nitro on the, the very first edition. There's lots of stories about not being happy in WWF. Uh, taking a low ball offer from uh, Eric Bischoff and, you know, just curious why you wanted to make the move, which in hindsight seems like it was a, a huge positive for your career. Uh, and, and certainly one of those moments that will, uh, those oh wow moments, oh crap moments that'll live in history when you appeared on Nitro Live. It was the beginning of the Monday Night Wars. I was able to be a part of it. I wasn't actually unhappy with WWE. I'd given my notice. 90 notice, I was actually looking to extend myself into other areas contractually outside of wrestling, like in the fitness and nutrition area, and, and be able to do some other things outside of wrestling. Vince and I were actually both in agreement. I worked on a handshake. I no longer had a contract, which was really, really unusual. Vince and I always had a great relationship. I was looking to resign with a restructured deal that allowed me to do more things. So I wasn't really unhappy. At WG at all, I was looking to resign. I had a happen chance conversation with Sting. It came up that I was no longer under contact with WWE, but looking to resign. Sting was like, "Wait a second, you're not under contract with WWE." I go, no. He goes, "You mean like you have you could like walk?" I go, "Yeah." So Sting, we have a, a, an unbelievable friend, friendship from back then till this moment as we speak. Went to Eric and pitched me to Eric. Eric wasn't all that hot in the idea of bringing me in, but. We sat down, talked. Yes, he did lowball me because he heard maybe I had some some attitude problems at times, and maybe wasn't the best influence in the locker room, which was probably true in a lot of regards. So he, he did lowball me. But once again, David, I was always so confident. I said, Eric, if you give me the chance, I'll prove you. I'll prove you. And he goes, Well, if you prove it to me, I'll I'll I'll, I'll continue to bump you up if if you if you prove to be an asset to the company. So I did come in for what was considered a low offer at the time. I never even thought about that because I said, man, with the opportunity Eric's given me to walk on with the brand launch of a brand new show and kind of be the surprise guest. And, and I said, man, I'm going to prove myself. So and Eric was a man of his word, man. He bumped my contract up way ahead of time over and over again as I became an integral part of the company and during the Monday Night War. So it turned out to be, once again, timing. We talked about a great move. I'm thankful to Sting and Eric for giving me the opportunity. Was there a part of you at the time that thought to yourself, uh, this better work because Vince ain't going to be too happy with me? Um, you know, I wasn't happy 
The only condition that made me very uncomfortable even back then, even though, like we said, there's been a change in, in Lex, but I was more about me, myself, and I, but I justify it with, oh, I need to take care of my family. I, I like this opportunity. Um, I was uncomfortable. Matsuda always told me, always give a two-week notice. And Vince and I had a great relationship, and then not the one stipulation or a CAD because the internet had hit, and he didn't want it to be a surprise and keep under wraps. That was the one condition he had. And I was very uncomfortable with that. I made the decision to do it. So I did have reservations about that. And uh, obviously, I'm an ambassador with WB now, and, and obviously, Vince has forgiven me, thankfully. But um, and he was a real gentleman. We had meet, you know, years later, I met him in an airport. Again, we shook hands and we hugged. So um, but I was definitely, especially, we kind of had a special relationship back then. Personally, outside of the business, I was very uncomfortable with that for sure. It was the shot heard around the world for sure. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you wrestled uh, at the WWF house show in Canada the night before. And, I did. You know, it was, it was interesting how few people knew. You know, I'm sitting out there as the ring announcer, and, and all of a sudden I look to my right, and out walks Lex Luger straight from the WWF. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, a light bulb went off in my head. I'm thinking to myself, all right, Eric's not messing around anymore. They're, no, it was a uh, they're, they're in this to win this for sure. They had to pull me off the shows in WWE. They had to pull me out of their tapings. Yeah, I always wonder, and I've, I've talked about this before, I always wonder uh, when either, I'm assuming Vince was watching live because it was a tape show, but uh, if not, somebody would have called him and said, uh, hey, Vince, you might want to turn on this uh, Nitro thing because uh, uh, the guy that wrestled for us in Canada last night is on their show, and he's also on our, our TV for next week. Uh, I always wonder if a guy like Vince would have been raging mad. Part, I, part of me, and I don't know, Vince, you, you do, but would have thought that he would kind of uh, chuckled and said, uh, <laughs> they got me, but uh, you know, now, now, uh, now, now let's play ball. But, uh, you know, I wonder if you ever talked about with it, that with Vince in your, uh, you know, recent conversations. We haven't discussed that particular evening ever yet, but I heard that it was jaw dropping because he was, they pre-taped that sh their shows for that night. So he was at home watching and I heard that uh, the person who was the most upset, he was kind of, I think, from what I've heard, hurt. And because I didn't give notice and he didn't know about it. I heard, I heard that actually she never really got too involved in things, but I heard the person who was, angry and upset because she's protective of him was actually Linda McMahon. She kind of looked at him. I heard and said, if you ever bring that guy back here, because <laughs> you know, Vince was always, you know, make up for the business and things like that. But I, I had heard and I don't know whether it's true or not that Linda was like very upset. <laughs> so let's move to bash at the beach. 1996, the NWO had arrived, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Uh, there was a six man tag team uh, that night match with uh, Hall and Nash and, and the mystery partner against you, Sting, and, and Randy Savage. And we, we had Kevin Sullivan on uh, early in the, the, the podcast history talking about how he had Hulk stay at his uh, condo that night so his lawyer couldn't talk him out of turning heel. What was what was your understanding as far as uh, who the third man was going to be? Were you uh, uh, reasonably certain that it was going to be Hulk? Um to my recollection, it was a it was a done deal. It was a shock to the wrestling world, but a few of us knew, and it was it was a done deal. He was he was ready to do it. He thought that that the you know red and yellow and say your prayers and vitamins had an incredible run. It was time to to 
try something different. He was ready. So we, we were ready. And obviously, uh, once again, we shocked the world with that, right? Yeah, lots of garbage thrown my way for sure. So uh, let's move on. August 1997, uh, you wrestled Hulk for the world title on WCW Monday Nitro and actually won the title. And I don't think most of the fans uh, were expecting that. I got to tell you, I'm not just, mm. uh, just uh, you know, kissing your rear because you're on this show. But uh, of all of Nitro's history, it probably was one of the biggest pops I had ever heard in Nitro history. Uh, and the fans were really with it. But it only lasted for five days, uh, losing it back at the pay-per-view. <laughs> Now, wait a second. I think it was six days, five and a half five days. Five and a half days, let's say. Uh, let's, okay, look. Let's Monday look, night. Uh, Monday, so Tuesday, Sunday. Wednesday, it, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. You are right. It was six days. Uh, that's why you can't trust Wikipedia. <laughs> you know, David, it was a great honor. I mean, he could have, Hogan, we all know, had creative control. He could have picked anybody. They wanted to throw a bone to the fans because we got left laying every Monday night. I said, I know you know. So he picked me. Uh, Hulkster and I always got along well behind the scenes. So. I was so honored. I didn't find out till almost right before I went to the ring that night. They wanted to once again, keep it under wraps for the surprise of the wars. And so uh, they didn't tell the referee until right before we went to the ring. His eyes were as big as saucers. So it was, it was uh, a shocker to me, the fans, a referee, uh, really only Eric and Hulkster knew. And um, the fans were waiting for a, a DQ or something to happen. And there was like a delayed, it, w- it was a huge pop there at the, live because they Hogan just lost live on national TV. That doesn't happen, number one. But number two, it, it was like delayed and then the pop happened when they realized when all the other baby faces filled the ring and they realized that it, they'd actually witnessed the title change live there in Detroit. It, it was it was a great honor and a very special moment. My career even only lasted for five and a half, six days. It was, it was a very special moment. One of the highlights of my career. For sure. As somebody, as, as you said, who has the confidence that you do, uh, that you did, did you ever wonder how, how it might have gone if they'd have given you a, a run with the world title? No, I'm, I'm, I always wanted to be, Matsuda always told me to be a good foot soldier. So I, I never really got involved in the office stuff. So for me, I got, wow, I'm getting a, a world title win on National TV over Hulkster, even if it's only for six days. I'm like, wow, this is great. So I never thought of it as, whoa, boy, because Matsuda always told me when you, because this is this is a work. It's not for real. It's predetermined. So don't ever balk at a finish. Don't ever be upset about how you're being utilized. Be thankful you're in the business and making a good living at it. Have fun. That's what I was mentored by a lot of my early guys, especially med student. I always kind of stayed with me. So I never thought, oh man, if I could have had this run or that run, or I should have had a longer run. I, I never looked at it that way, David. So I went on Twitter last night and asked for uh, some fan questions and. Uh, at Mongo eBooks, uh, uh, his question was, uh, how much input did you have in the death of Lex Luger segment in 1999? And my my response was, I totally forgot that. And remind me. And and then I did some homework and looked up the video, and and I immediately remembered what it was, and uh, totally, you know, kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, buried right. Lex Luger and turned you into the total package. So. Well, as 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 the Mongo at Mongo eBooks uh, mentioned, how much input did you have, and what did you think of that that angle? I did. I I always, you know, kind of became once again one of Dusty's ideas, and he directed the whole thing at the funeral home. It's kind of weird getting in a casket. They actually laid me in an open grave in a casket. It was kind of creepy. 
it was kind of creepy, but Dusty always was very creative. And um, it was kind of a reboot because everybody always said, I always thought I was going to be known as Luger. When I, when, when I originally the name came up, Lex Luger, I always thought, oh, well, Magnum P.I. was the big TV show back in the late 80s when I broke in the number one show on television with Tom Selleck. He'll be Magnum. I'll be Luger if I get over. And so I was happy to go, hey, Luger. But people either called me Lex because wrestling fans are very special. They embrace you almost as, your, as their best friend. So they called me either Lex or Total Package. So when I went to airports, it became really said Alexa, hey, Total Package. So we were kind of doing a reboot. Dusty had the idea of doing a reboot of me off the trying to do the reset button with me as the Total Package. Don't call me Lex anymore, Luger anymore. Uh, call me the Total Package as a heel. So it was, it was, uh, it was, it was fun. Now I might have my times messed up because it went by so quickly. But well, am I correct in saying that this was the time you were still tag teaming with Sting, and uh, when he was watching you guys with you know kiss, you know kiss babies and shake hands and smile, uh, you had that big fake smile, and then when he wasn't watching, you sort of had that arrogant look on your face. Uh, because that was, you know, in all the WCW, that to me was some of the most entertaining stuff that I had seen. That timeline where I was prior closer to when I first, uh, came back after the Monday night wars, just got started. So you got to probably amp it back a little bit on the timeline, but it was fun. And Sting and I being such good friends, it really, it, it, it wasn't for a long period of time because you couldn't do that for a long time because we started to make Sting look foolish. But we had great, we had great chemistry with that because we had great chemistry in the ring and outside the ring. I always told people, some of the guys who you uh, kind of associate with each other, Sting and I always just they have a very special friendship. And, and we had that special friendship outside of the ring. So that always kind of, I think, enhanced chemistry for us guys. If we got along outside of the ring and hung, uh, that always came across. So that was a, that, that was a lot of fun when we did that and he enjoyed it and I enjoyed it for sure. Yeah. Like you said, you couldn't do it for that long, but, uh, but it, it was great. You know, I remember that, you know, you would do your stick and then sting would have to cover his mouth up cause he was going to laugh. And then oh, yeah. the referee would have to cover his mouth up cause he wanted to laugh. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I was down at ringside or in the ring, you know, trying to cover my mouth and it made, it made for some fun angles. And it, you know, it's funny how stuff like that, you know, you have the best minds in the wrestling business producing, uh, you know, uh, you know, great stuff, but some of the stuff Absolutely. like you and Sting and uh, playing off each other, you know, just happens organically. It always amazes me. So WCW gets sold to WWF. That's the end of WCW. Uh, wondering what your thoughts were. Wondering, um, I'm, I'm actually assuming that uh, if there was any entrance on Vince's part to bring you in, that uh, probably Linda would have nixed it because she was still hot about you jumping over. Uh, that actually had nothing to do with it at the time, but but. If if, it, if I was uh, contractually able to make the switch at the time, I wasn't. My contract, as you know, they've been since the big contracts that were guaranteed in full were made with AOL Time Warner, the parent company of WCW. So when Vince bought, which turned an incredible move, the content was the big thing, bought WCW, a lot of the talent went. But uh, my contract, Goldberg's, a couple others, I had over two years left of my contract for millions of dollars in full. Um, so I wasn't even eligible to think about making a move to, uh, to WWE, even if I wanted to at the time. I, I had millions of guaranteed income uh, dollars coming in for the next couple of years. So 
I wasn't even part of the equation back then. So what were your thoughts, though, on the end of WCW? There's a lot of different uh, people taking a lot of different things. You know, I, I obviously was crushed. This was my dream job, and, uh, you know, mm. I didn't know what was going to happen. But uh, but there was some a lot of people saying, you know, good, you know, good riddance. I'm glad it's over. Uh, they deserve it, which, you know, I can't disagree. You know, a lot of things going on towards the end that, uh, that uh, didn't help things. But just curious, what was your thoughts? I wasn't shocked. I was a little disappointed, but I kind of just saw it coming through the years. AOL Time Warner, the parent company, wanted to go a dip to a, to a totally different direction with the emphasis of what they had content-wise on TNT and TBS. Wrestling was a moneymaker for them, but once it stopped being a moneymaker, they were looking for a way to, to, to dump it, in my opinion. So when our ratings started to go down, um, I thought, you know, hey, with the Monday Night Wars, we were kicking butt on them a while. They're kicking our butt with the rock and stone cold now, but Hey, we can make a comeback, but, but AOL time Warner wasn't looking to have patience and, and have a comeback with wrestling. I felt it's just my opinion. They were looking to, to unload it and they saw that as the opportunity by selling it. So um, that's what happened. I thought it was, I thought that, that the wars brought out the best in both companies. So I was disappointed in that regard. And I thought for not myself personally, because obviously I had a big guarantee for a couple more years for a lot of money, but I thought for the guys in general, negotiation-wise and leverage-wise, unless you had a lot of a lot of interest from Japan or somebody, um, it wasn't going to be good for the guys overall, salary-wise and contract-wise. So I was a little disappointed on the the wars being coming to an end. Uh, WGB won, obviously, and also for the guys contractually. I thought it might not be the best for the boys. Yeah, the writing was on the wall for sure. I don't think anybody was surprised. So, so we touched on this earlier, and 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 I certainly don't want to get too preachy or anything like that. But uh, after WCW ended, uh, you went through some tough times, and no need to get specific. Uh, uh, but 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 you had some legal issues, you had some personal issues, and uh, you were at a, a low level from everything that I've seen and read, and and uh, you found religion, and and it's really changed your life. So. Well, tell me about that time in, in your life. What was going on? Uh, with Again, without getting into brutal details, uh, what was it that finally turned you around? Yeah, amazing, uh, David. Uh, transformation. Uh, I got, that God's made my life. I, I went around some really dark roads. I told people uh, I had too much time and money in my hands. You know, a lot of wrestlers, we, I came from the work hard, play hard era. You know what I mean by that. And that was a way of life. And unfortunately, a lot of us um, are, aren't here anymore. So it's a, it's a miracle of God. I'm still here. I went down some, re- made some really bad choices that affected those closest to me. My family, as we know, the, 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 the saddest of sad tragedies with Miss Elizabeth, who overdosed uh, uh, back in 04 and uh, 05. I'm sorry, 05. And I was making some really bad decisions back then. In fact, a lot of people tragically uh, with drugs and alcohol. And, and I, I, I'm a miracle, a miracle of God. You mentioned earlier that uh, how I turned my life around. I didn't do it. I was an atheist who thought we lived, we died, we were room for uh, worm food. I've, I got up on drug charges. Um, it's turned out the best thing I ever had. I was convicted of drug charges, drug possession. That's a lifestyle I was li- leading. I deserved it. Met a chaplain in jail who God put in my life. He took an interest in me. To make a long story short, 
he found me when I got out of jail back in 06. Um, he looked for me. He found me. We started working out together at the gym. I thought I'd run him out of the gym. I couldn't. He kept on coming back. I had him do squats and lunges, and he ended up sharing the gospel with me. And I, I decided to, I went from an atheist. I had a road to Damascus, literally a Saul to Paul experience. And um, God transformed my life. I surrendered my heart to Jesus. On April 23rd of 06, God surrounded me with good people, godly people who mentored me, discipled me, taught me how to pray. I moved in with my, my, my pastor for a year, uh, taught me how to read the Bible, how, that apply, how to apply that into my life, godly, biblical principles. And my life has never been the same. I, I had a peace, you know, David, I always, no matter how much I, people thought I had as Lex Luger, total package, I always felt like something was missing, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I was always restless. Uh, the thing that was missing was my, a relationship with God. And I had immediate peace and a sense of purpose in my life. No matter how much pop culture and wrestling people thought I had it going on back in the old days, that I never felt. And it's only gotten better since then. God's walked me through a spinal cord injury and, and done great things from that. I know I never could have handled properly uh, prior to me, meeting him. So I'm so thankful. It's been uh, just an incredible experience. It still is. And I'm, I, you know, I'm now able to go back and share that with people of how, who maybe have given up hope, how it's never hopeless because God never gives up on us. I do drug awareness. Uh, a lot of, but you know, the opioid crisis we have now, I'm able to go and speak to a lot of drug awareness speaking and, and just try to do some good things. So uh, God's got me in a great place. And I'm, I'm can't take any of the credit. I'm very, very thankful, David. So I'm curious, you know, um, at the end of WCW, uh, I'm trying not to be rude to a guest, but at the end of WCW, you were, you're a pretty arrogant guy. And, uh, no you know, uh, you know, I'm sure the, 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 the drugs, you know, that you were into, you know, had something to do with that. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the guys went through it and that's not an excuse for anybody. Yeah. And so I'm wondering though, uh, how does a guy who's, 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 like you said, been arrogant his whole life, uh, how do you just totally change? Is is, that, is 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 the relationship with God enough to to totally change that arrogance? Because I'll tell you a story, and you know it's interesting. You were with you were at TNA. I was bringing out in there, and yeah. you came and you did a, a appearance. Sting was in an angle, and you came up to me, and uh, I'll never forget it. I called my wife that night, and I said, uh, "I said, Lisa, I saw Lex today," and she's like, "Oh, how's Lex?" I'm like, "He's doing good." It's like, but you'll never you'll never believe it. He asked how you and the kids were doing. It's like, I didn't even know that he knew that I had a wife and kids. Yeah. And and it's not like I expected that you knew my life story. You know, we were, you're always cool to me, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, we weren't buddy, buddy, uh, you know, but, 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 you know, you were Lex Luger, the total package and I was the ring announcer. So, yeah, you know, me, but, myself and I, yeah, but it's just amazing to me that all that, so-called quote-unquote arrogance gets wiped away and and here sits the nicest guy in the world uh is, is it really you know your relationship with god that wipes all that clean it is that you know you can tell people about it david but it's a, it's an experiential thing um you can tell people about god and about jesus and that the holy spirit comes and lives inside of you and gives you love joy peace patience kindness gentleness self-control you can talk about that to people but they actually surrender their life to him and experience it, you really, it's, you, it's really hard to explain to people, but yeah, he, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that Corinthians 5, 7, it tells us 
that we're a brand new creation in Christ. And really, God made me a brand new creation. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a different guy now, for sure, thankfully. So real quickly, you had brought up the uh, the spinal situation. So it's pretty amazing. So you find you find God, you find peace. And all of a sudden, if I remember correctly, uh, the story is you wake up in a hotel room and you couldn't move at all? Yeah, I was paralyzed from the neck down. And my prognosis and diagnosis was no function from the neck down the rest of my life. A power chair and be bathed, fed, clothed. I needed one of those vans with a lift the rest of my life. Now, thankfully, I have a, a miraculous recovery. You know, I get the credit to that, too, that I can walk some and stand some. And I use a wheelchair most of the time, but I'm able to drive and live on my own. And I've gotten way more function that they can't even explain back from that injury, which is extremely rare. But yeah, I mean, if you'd asked me what would be the worst thing that happened, you were talking about the old Lex now. Well, if I couldn't go to the gym and pump the iron and be the big muscular Lex, I'm 180 now instead of 280. I tell people I've been streamlined and redefined <laughs> by, the, by the good Lord. But yeah, I don't think the old Lex would handle that very well because you'd ask me what's the worst thing that could happen. You ought to go, man, if I couldn't work out anymore and go to the gym and be that, the big muscular Lex. So that was something that God walked me through and that, that he'd, uh, I, I was given some verses by the chaplain at the hospital where I ended up at, which told me, you know, Lex, uh, a lot of times God, God works best in our weakness. His power can best be displayed and just hang in there. And, and God walked me through it. And, and uh, I met a lot of great people from that. He gave me more empathy for others. God comforted me through that. And now, now I try to comfort others I, uh, who go through similar things like a spinal cord injury. So God used it for the greater good. And, and so, yeah, that, but that was quite an experience. If you'd ask me, what, what, was, what would you not want to happen? It definitely would have been a spinal cord injury because it ain't fun, that's for sure. Yeah, and it, was, it seemed like a freak thing. Like, they don't even know what happened. They don't know for sure. They go, Lex, could have been that you played football and wrestling. You turned your head in the airplane and worked out before the night, the night before, on the, before you got on the airplane and flew out from East Coast to West Coast. But that may have nothing to do with that. The mysteries of the body and neurology, they go, People come in here with the same type of injury you have that never wrestled, never played football. They fell asleep on on their on top of their laptop, sitting at, the, at their computer desk. So we go, we don't know for sure, but, but here's what you're facing. You got massive swelling on your spinal cord. That ain't good. <laughs> By gosh, you really have a great sense of humor about it. It's pretty amazing. Going back to that uh, that Q and A that we had in Augusta a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a panel with uh, you and. Uh, Mick Foley and the Nasty Boys and Mick Foley and the Nasty Boys are talking about beating the living crap out of each other. The hardcore and, guys, and right? your response was, uh, you know, I hardly did anything in my career. You guys killed each other, and I'm the one sitting in the wheelchair. What's up with that? Yeah, what's up with that? What kind of sense does that make? We all pop. Yeah, that's funny. To finish up on that, though, it's just to put a bow on it. I feel like people, oh, man, I'm sorry, Lex. I go, because the fans are great. I go, hey, don't be sorry, man. I go, I feel like between football, wrestling, motorcycle wrecks, car crashes, I go, I feel like I got 12 lifetime warranties out of this body before it started breaking down. So I go, it's okay. And they'll smile, you know, it's, it's just how, how I feel about it, you know? So yeah, but go ahead. You have a couple questions for the fans. I appreciate you taking them. Uh, yeah. Mike Freeland, who's actually associate producer on the show, wanted to know, and I, I kind of think it's important based on, on what you're just talking about your, your life story. Uh, he wanted to know what kind of pitfalls, you would tell young wrestlers to avoid? Um, wow, that's a really good question, too. 
Um, I don't know about pitfall. My, I'm more of an encourager rather than go on the, the negatives to avoid. I just be, be teachable, stay humble, and 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 seek the best training available out there, and, and don't ever quit, persevere. That that would be my suggestion. I'm more of an encourager. I love wrestling now. You don't have to be Road Warrior or Lex Luger size anymore. You can be almost any size, and you can kind of fine tune your 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 work, how you work in the ring. You know, there's Daniel Bryan's, Ray Mysterio's, there's all different types and body sizes now. I think that's great for the fans. It's great for wrestling. It's great for the guys. So I said, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Chase after your dreams, persevere, and just stay humble. So I was going to ask this question anyway, but I'll give uh, credit to uh, Dan Lutzka on Twitter. He wanted to know, and I want to know myself, uh, if you think you'll ever get the call for the WWE Hall of Fame. I know you're working with WWE now, and you know I know if you'd asked Jeff Jarrett uh, a year ago, uh, if he was going to be the this class of the Hall of Fame, he'd have probably bet you his house that there was no chance. So I'm wondering uh, if you're hoping for that call, and and also if it doesn't happen, will will that be okay as well? You know, I, it's something I don't think about a lot, but I'm always honored and kind words of people uh, say they think I should, or and obviously, so with all the guys that are in there, that if I ever do get chosen, I would be a, a just a wonderful honor, um, and um, I think. Uh, so you never know. You gave a great example with Jeff. So you never know. And it'd be a wonderful, incredible honor. And also, if I don't ever, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for a 15-year career I had. There's a lot of other guys uh, who were great performers, even in my era, from Vader to the Steiner brothers, who were better athletes than me, who aren't in yet, yet who are as deserving and more deserving as me. I can name a whole list of guys. So if I do, someday it would be a great honor. If I don't, I still am thankful and feel I had a a really great 15 year career. So uh, that's about how, how I would describe how, how I feel about it. Lex, I really hope that you get that opportunity to get that hall of fame ring. I know that's not the end all and be all of your career and, and you'll be fine no matter what, but uh, uh, I think you deserve it. It's really amazing. The catharsis that, uh, that, 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 that uh, the change that you've had in your life. And, and it's really an inspirational story to, to anyone who has had it all, you know, so to speak and, and lost, it, and you've you really handled your uh, recovery in, in, in a classy way. And, and I'm so happy that you were able to come on the show and, and share your story. And, and I really appreciate your time. David, my pleasure. Thank you. Great interview. Appreciate you, my friend. So I want to thank Lex Luger. Wow. I, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, the guy's undergone an amazing transformation. Uh, and uh, wasn't, like I said, wasn't sure what to expect, but, Whatever I was thinking, that totally exceeded my expectations. I really thank him for his time and his on, brutal honesty, quite frankly. And, uh, I, you know, I will tell you, like I said, and in, in, in when I was telling him, uh, when he asked me uh, in TNA how my wife and kids were, I was absolutely floored. That's not the Lex Luger I knew. And it wasn't the Lex Luger that existed, but uh, uh, he's a changed guy. And uh, he, he, the most important thing, you know, you, you only live once. So the most important thing is, is, is I really feel in talking to him in person and talking to him uh, in this interview uh, discussion that uh, he's happy. And, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's the important thing. You only live once, so uh, be happy. And even though, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened to him, the paralysis, uh, he seems very peace with himself. And good for them because uh, I think for a long time uh, Lex had trouble finding peace in his life. So God bless him. We don't always uh, – we don't – 
very often talk religion on this show, but because of his experience, I did, did want to go there and uh, re- definitely respect anybody's uh, thought process on that subject. So I want to thank Lex Luger again. Great discussion that we had. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, send any feedback to at David Penzer on Twitter, at Penzer Ringside. Uh, try to get in as many questions as I could. So thanks for those questions. And uh, we'll be hitting you up uh, uh, in future interview discussions uh, for your questions. We want to involve you in the show. So if you have any advice, any uh, uh, thought process on sitting ringside, uh, how we can make it better, how we could uh, uh, improve, always open to listening to suggestions. Nothing's ever perfect. And uh, there's always room for improvement. So I do appreciate you guys listening. And uh, we're going to try and strive to do our very best to bring you uh, entertaining discussions each and every week with wrestling legends and people behind the scenes in the world of pro wrestling history. Do want to mention real quick before we wrap things up, I had the pleasure of finally, it might, you guys might find this interesting, but I had never met Mike Freeland. And uh, so I had the uh, pleasure of finally meeting Mike Freeland. He was an honorary uh, staff member of the Legends of Wrestling this past weekend in Detroit at the Big Legends of Wrestling show. Great crowd, sellout crowd, over 3,000 people. So thank you for all the fans. I uh, had some listeners of the podcast that came up and introduced themselves, and uh, great to meet you. But uh, got to meet Mike Freeland. He did ask if I, wa- if I wanted him to bring baked goods. Uh, I said, no, that, that would be okay. But he, he did buy me a cocktail, and I reciprocated. So I have taught him since he met uh, Trademark MMA that, uh, you know, it's always good to, to, to offer to buy a cocktail. So good that he's taking notes. But he's a nice guy, and uh, we hope to have him back on this show uh, in the future, whenever we talk about uh, either pay-per-view uh, or wrestling news that is happening in the moment. So uh, it was great to meet Mike and uh, hope you enjoyed your weekend with the Legends of Wrestling. So without further ado, going to wrap things up for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I'm still sitting ringside. My name is David Penzer, and we will see you next time. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. I'm Tracy Beans, host of the new podcast, Dark to Light with Frank and Beans on Radio Influence. It's a new show about politics, but not the way you're used to. What we talk about is actually true. And it's also stuff they don't want you to hear. So we bring it to you weekly. All the intrigue and spin and double talk spelled out for you right with my co-host Frank's special flavor of commentary. Don't miss him. He's an experience. So join us. Dark to Light with Frank and me, Tracy Beans, drops each Friday on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.